0: everyone Dan Cassidy here welcome to top of the morning on the UBS market moves podcast channel today we will recap the week that was and preview what you can expect in the week ahead a lot to catch up on today so we are fortunate to have with us both Frank Saleo and Barry McElinden both senior fixed income strategists Americas with the UBS chief investment office so Frank Barry good morning welcome back and thank you for spending some time with us today
1: Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you.
0: So there's a lot to cover, right, Frank? Where to begin? And I know we did see some notable swings within the markets over the past four days. So Frank, can you break down for us the notable market events that contributed to this week's market activity?
1: Absolutely, Dan. Yeah, it's definitely been a very volatile week for risk assets and financial markets in general. Um, The FOMC meeting uh, and Really, the post-meeting press conference was really the main event of the week, Um, really really, the the major driver and and focus for investors this week. But really, the downdraft in equities began last week. Equity markets had the worst week in about a year last week, with the S&P 500 down by about 5.7%. And that carried over into Monday. So, you know, we'll just walk it through. Uh, uh, day-to-day, how things unfolded throughout the week. On Monday, n- major uh, stock indices were down anywhere from 4 to 5% by midday, but they rallied strongly from those levels to end the day close to unchanged. So that really set the stage for more volatility throughout the week. Several factors are whipsawing the markets, including – uh, geopolitical concerns related to russia and the ukraine we also have earnings season uh, just getting underway and some early results have been mixed but the main concern for investors for the past several weeks uh has been the uncertain path of fed policy and we did get the latest fed meeting uh this week concluding on wednesday but if we look back now Uh, After the prior meeting in December, the median Fed projection after that December FOMC meeting had been calling for three rate hikes this year. But since that time, in the past six or seven weeks, market projections began uh, increasing, expecting more, gradually more and more rate hikes in, in 2022. That was partly due to Fed messaging since the December meeting. And on Wednesday, in that uh, uh, post-meeting press conference, Fed Chair Jay Powell basically confirmed that messaging and really confirmed the market's uh, more hawkish interpretation. So the post-meeting press conference overall was perceived as being a bit more hawkish. Uh, During those comments, Powell pointed out several times That the upcoming rate hiking process, which is uh, expected to begin at the next uh, FOMC meeting in March, uh, concluding March 16th, that that upcoming rate hiking process will be different than the prior cycle back in uh, 2016, 2017 and 2018. Uh, And the difference primarily is due to the fact that today inflation is much higher. uh, The labor market is much stronger and growth. Economic growth is above trend. This is the point that Powell made several times uh, in in his comments during that press conference. So, the inference is that you know, unlike prior uh, rate hike cycles, prior you know, with a gradual pace, the Fed this time may need to act more quickly to get to a more neutral rate. And specifically, you know, Powell. Uh, wouldn't rule things out. He was given ample opportunity to to rule out things like a faster pace of rate hikes or larger rate hike increments of fifty basis points. But uh, but Barry, you know, I think that was the main sticking point for investors. And with all this in the backdrop, the S and P is down one point six percent on the week so far. Futures are pointing to somewhat of a lower opening. But Barry, what, what what's your take on uh, the events uh, of this week?
2: That's right. I think the you know, look at the bond market reaction after the Fed meeting, and you saw the rise in two-year yields. Uh, I think to reflect your point that the, the Fed could go at a faster pace, maybe every meeting this year, or perhaps hiking by 50 basis points at one meeting. Which, believe it or not, they haven't done that uh, since May of 2000. So uh, the market's not used to a potential uh, 50 basis point uh, hike in rates, but. Um, you know, we also saw just regular economic indicators this week that uh, confirmed that the federal mandate, you know, has clearly been met. We, we are, saw fourth quarter twenty one GDP come in in the six point nine percent annualized pace that beat market consensus. Um, as as uh, the full year of two thousand twenty one GDP uh, coming in at five point seven percent, you know, the highest since nineteen eighty four. And then the employment cost index that, that just came out this morning uh, is a, a quarterly indicator of a measure of wage growth that came in one percent quarter over quarter, a little bit lighter than expectations, but still a you know strong quarter quarterly growth number in wages. You know, remember the last release uh, where the employment cost index was up one point three percent. That was. That was much higher than anything seen, you know, since the global financial crisis. So it's clear that the the data confirms, you know, that the hawkish language, uh, Frank, as you mentioned, from this week's FOMC meeting.
0: Well, Barry, Frank, thank you for taking us day by day through what was an eventful week. So I know we're beginning to turn the page on January. It is a month, I'm sure, many investors are eager to put behind them, though, There's been a lot of focus on equity markets making headlines. Barry, how have fixed income markets been performing, generally speaking? And then I'm curious, Barry, I know you'll start off and we'll hear from Frank, but want to hear about how the areas that each of you focus on specifically within fixed income have fared over the past few weeks.
2: Yeah, so fixed income markets, uh, and I would make a distinction between the impact from rising interest rates versus uh, the credit component. Credit components held in quite well stronger than you might expect given the volatility that we're seeing in, in other asset classes. But certainly given the, the sharp movement in interest rates, it's, it's not been good for fixed income, traditional fixed income sectors for their total return. So, for example, investment grade corporate bonds are down 3% uh, month to date. Even high yield bonds are down 2.4%. So, traditional fixed income is clearly, you know, being impacted by the move in, in treasury yields. The exception are the floating rate areas within fixed income. So senior loans or leveraged loans, they're actually slightly modestly positive on the month. And that shows you where loans are a little bit more credit sensitive because uh, they're comprised of companies with below investment grade rating. So the market isn't too concerned about credit risk, uh, which uh, you know we agree with. You look at the, the fundamental backdrop for uh, credit issuers still looks quite strong and that's the trend you know we think will persist uh, throughout the year where you're still going to get these headwinds with treasury yields likely to be biased higher whereas uh you know the, the fundamentals are intact you know credit spreads they they represent the risk premium that you get for uh buying you know a corporate security over a government security but do you think that they are biased higher as well um just you know as we get closer to um the, the lengthening, you know, of this economic cycle, you know, I think there's a higher risk premium that will likely be built into credit spreads um, you know, as well as the fact that credit spreads really, you know, have been resilient this week, uh, maybe again, more so than we would might expect. So, there might be a little bit of a catch-up move to be had. So, you know, both from the spread component point of view, as well as the, the treasury benchmark rates, we don't think they're going to work in investors' favor. Uh, it's going to no doubt be a challenging year. Again, for these traditional for traditional fixed income sectors. Um, on the flip side, I think it does reset certainly you know yield levels to more appealing areas. You know, once we get through this this you know, realignment in yields, and uh, particularly like on the short end of the, the fixed income uh, maturity curves. So, for example, let's say an investment grade corporate bonds, where the one to three year segment, we're seeing yields now approaching two percent. And if you move a little bit lower in credit quality into triple B's, you know we're we're pretty much already there. You know that's not a bad place to be from a risk reward standpoint. So, unfortunately, you know some near term pain in terms of the returns, but we do think that will eventually reset to a level uh, that will be uh, more appealing. You know in terms of the yields that are offered.
1: Yeah, and from from my standpoint in preferreds, you know much of the same. Just to echo. Uh, what, that, what Barry had said, it, it, it has been already a difficult start to the year for preferreds. Uh, as Barry mentioned, higher rates have really uh, presented uh, a, 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 a pretty strong headwind to the preferred uh, sector. Preferred stocks are are down uh, for the month the month to date so far in, in January. but we're also seeing some widening. In spreads, those credit premiums that, uh, uh or yield premiums that, that, uh, Barry highlighted as well for, for credit product. And so overall, with that combination of higher rates, wider spreads, we're seeing preferred yields push higher and, and overall creating headwinds. So to a certain extent, this is really a continuation of some of the trends that we saw beginning in the second half of last year. Um, paw preferreds, these tend to have fixed-rate coupons or coupons that we we say are fixed for life. And in the second half of the year, $25 paw preferreds had some lackluster performance in the second half of 2021, returning just 0.3%. In 2021 overall, preferreds returned 3.5%, but again, most of those gains came in the first half of the year. So we did see performance suffer in the second half, and with those headwinds, uh, uh strengthening uh, in January. Higher rates and somewhat wider spreads. Uh, preferred returns have suffered even more in January. Uh, a month to date, $25 par preferreds are down just around 4%. Um, I would point out that variable rate structures have held in a bit better. They're down as well, but not to the same degree as those fixed rate prefers. Uh, so it has been a difficult month. I think conditions will remain challenging, as Barry said, uh, over the next several, uh, months and quarters, uh, given the uncertain backdrop. Uh, but during these times of volatility, you could, you could also find pockets of opportunity. For example, yes, yesterday in the preferred market, it was a really rough day. Uh, I did notice that there was some outflows out of the major, uh, um, ETFs focusing on preferreds that could have contributed some technical pressure, and at times this could create pockets of opportunity. Um, but but overall, uh, for the market in general, yield premiums began the year towards the lower end of the historic range. So, and uh, given the more challenging risk backdrop with treasury rates biased higher, uncertainty around monetary policy and inflation and growth, um, you know we could see. Uh, once we get to when, when we look back on 2022 returns a year from now, we could see Dan, we could see preferreds posting just marginal gains or possibly possibly even marginal losses. But again, it's going to be a challenging year for all of fixed income as Barry just mentioned.
0: Frank Barry, thank you for your respective performance recaps as we're getting ready to close the chapter on January. So given what we've witnessed unfold over the past few weeks, the kind of start we've gotten off to, there's a lot of intrigue as to whether investment outlooks have had to be rethought as a result. So Frank, can you bring us up to speed on CIO's overall market outlook and on a more near-term basis, what will be taking place next week that You'll be keeping an eye on.
1: Sure, I mean, I think that the key takeaway here is the Fed has demonstrated uh, over the past several years uh, that it will be very pragmatic in in normalizing uh, interest rates. It will be uh, the Fed will be data dependent and responsive. Uh, it, it's not, you know, Jay Powell learned from from the uh, uh, a, a comment that he made in December of 2018 when he described the uh, quantitative tightening cycle at that time is on autopilot. That's not the message they want to convey to the market. Uh, They want to convey uh, a Fed that's responsive, that's data dependent. And in the months and quarters ahead, they're going to be getting more and more data points with respect to inflation uh, uh, that will guide uh, further policy. But even as the Fed begins raising rates, we think there's still further upside in equities supported by strong economic growth. Uh, as Barry mentioned, we just got the, the fourth quarter GDP number, which was historically high, 6.9% fourth quarter. Um, and that just demonstrates the fact that the economy no longer needs emergency liquidity. Uh, and then on the labor side, Powell described the labor market as tremendously strong. So, you know, at CIO, we do think, uh, we could see four rate hikes this year, and that will be enough to contain inflation, uh, to a more sustainable uh, level. It'll put inflation back into what I call the safe zone, but it'll also continue to allow equities to rally. And we expect uh, the S&P 500 to finish the year at about 5,100. So um, we do think that even with uh, Fed normalization, uh, monetary policy equities can continue to do well. And just in terms of Before I turn it over to Barry for his thoughts, in terms of what we're going to be watching next week, um, the closely watched ISM Purchasing Managers Index will be released next week. We'll get the Manufacturing Index on Tuesday, Services on Wednesday. These are important indicators of the state of economic growth as well as pricing trends. But the main event next week will be the Jobs Report on Friday. Uh, Employment and wage growth are both expected to accelerate. And, again, these are just, uh, just an example of some of the signposts. Uh, Barry, that uh, the Fed will be looking to as they craft a Fed policy in the quarters ahead.
2: Thanks, Frank. Yeah, that was very comprehensive. Um, Maybe the only other thing I'd add is just earnings season continues. And we do get uh, reports from about 111 companies in the S&P 500 next week, uh, including many in both the, the healthcare as well as the industrial sector. So the There'll be uh, plenty of uh, corporate level uh, news reports uh, coming out next week to keep an eye on, particularly as as it relates to the impact from from Omicron, as well as, uh, you know, what companies are seeing uh, as far as inflationary impacts, you know, from some supply chains, margins, their guidance. So there's a lot of moving parts that are being digested. Uh, when it comes to earning season.
0: Well, Barry and Frank, thank you very much as we're heading into the weekend to reflect very helpful insights you provided us to help us do so and understand how the market's behaved over the past few days. Helpful to hear about CIO's market outlook as well and some near-term points of interest for the week ahead. So, Barry, Frank, wish you both a nice weekend and thank you for dropping by top of the morning. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Have a great Thanks, weekend, everybody. And again, today we've been joined by Frank Sil Salen- and Barry McAlinden, Senior Fixed Income Strategists Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can, of course, be located up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.
3: UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only.